Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday as we begin to wrap up another week in Biden's America. We are surviving barely but we are surviving. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please check me out on social media. Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And Twitter and True Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. Also by email, you can reach me at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. We've got huge guests lined up in the days and weeks ahead. We're going to talk to Bill O'Reilly. We're going to talk to Senators Rand Paul, uh, him about his new book on Anthony Fauci and all of the lies that came our way throughout the pandemic. We're also going to talk to Senator Ted Cruz about a whole range of things, including how we make this country unwoke We're also going to talk to Bill O'Reilly soon, Kelsey Grammer, Brett Baer, Natasha Owens, Elvita King. We got them lined up. We got them stacked up like planes at LaGuardia. Okay? So big guests, you're not going to want to miss a second of this show. And make sure you tell everybody you know about the Monica Crowley podcast so they won't have FOMO either. All right. Later today, we're going to talk to our good friend, Dinesh D'Souza, who's got an extraordinarily important film coming out called Police State. We are in a police state. Douglas Mackey, an average American who put together a meme in the year 2016 during that election about Hillary Clinton. And Lord knows there were a ton of memes going around about Mrs. Clinton. There still are because she is a meme-rich environment, is she not? Well, he put together a meme that a jury and a judge determined to be election interference, and the guy was just sentenced to seven months in prison for a meme. So if you think that we are not in a police state, you are sadly mistaken. The police state is already here. So we're going to talk to Dinesh, who has done this brilliant brilliant film about it and it's coming out next week it'll be in theaters we got to support it everywhere buy your tickets we're going to talk to him about where you get your tickets where you can see this film uh the website the movie all of it so sit tight for that but first today the monica memo the iranian embassy in syria has posted on social media quote Time is up as the Middle East descends into chaos. You'll recall that from 2017 to 2021, when Donald Trump was in office, there was actual, sustainable, enduring peace in the Middle East. 
Nobody thought it was possible. The Middle East is a hotbed of tribalism, religious conflicts, going back millennia. So the assumption for all of us for a very long time was, well, there'll never be peace in the Middle East. And we could do things like present different kinds of peace options, and we can tinker at the margins. But in the end, peace will never come to the Middle East. It's just the conflicts are just too intractable, right? Well, Donald Trump showed that, in fact, you can have peace in the Middle East when you've got a strong American president who comes in with a workable peace plan called the Abraham Accords to integrate these nations, whether they are the Jewish state of Israel or Arab states like the UAE, Bahrain, and others. You can actually have a plan to integrate them economically, which will then usher in a period of peace, because if you have a trading partner and you've got economic incentives, well, you know, it, the likelihood of increased peace uh, is substantial. That was the thinking behind the Abraham Accords. And another important piece of this is that they took out the Palestinian piece of the puzzle and said, we're going to deal with that piece of the puzzle in a separate and distinct way from the rest. So they took it out of the equation and were dealing with it over here. Well, over there, they were dealing with the other Arab states in a completely different kind of approach. And it worked. It worked. You had peace busting out all over the Middle East and stability. The Palestinians were quiet. The Iranians knew not to lift a finger. Because if so, Donald Trump would have destroyed them. And he told them that point blank, like he told Putin, like he told the Chinese. And we're going to get to this in a second. So in that four-year period of time under Trump, you had relative peace, quiet, and stability in the Middle East because you had a strong American president. And you had actual, workable, rational peace plans moving on different fronts. In the past two, three years, under Joe Biden, we have seen Russia invade Ukraine, China preparing to invade Taiwan, and that's coming, and war now in Israel. So now the United States is in a position where we may be funding war in Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel, and perhaps elsewhere. Just yesterday, it was reported that Joe Biden, and by the way, I tweeted about this. There were multiple instances of absolute horror coming out of Joe Biden. The first was he went to Israel on this totally ill-advised trip. He was in the air. He was supposed to do two things. He was going to Israel to reassure our Israeli allies, Benjamin Netanyahu, and the rest of the Israeli leadership that the United States was behind them and would provide whatever support they needed to fight this war. And then he was going to go on to Amman, Jordan, to meet with Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, the Egyptian President Sisi, uh, the Jordanian President, the, the Arab sort of the, the, the leading Arab voices here were coming for this summit with Joe Biden. And guess what? They blew him off. They canceled. First, Abbas canceled, and then their Jordanians canceled the entire summit while he was in the air en route to the region. If you know anything about Arab culture, 
The Arabs uh, demand hospitality for guests, even if you cannot stand and hate the guest. You are to invite the guest in. You are to bribe, provide them uh, that strong Arabian coffee or tea or whatever and host them, even if you hate their guts. You are to host them. And then once they're out the door, you can curse them or whatever. But while they're in your presence or on their way to you, you are to open your door and your home and provide them hospitality. So the the fact that they blew him off and turned their backs on him while he was in the air en route to them is a huge humiliation. Not many people are reporting this. Our friend Caroline Glick out of Israel, um, I retweeted her tweet on this, so go check my Twitter feed if you want to read her whole tweet on this. But she raised that point, and I thought it was brilliant um, because it, it is, it's so true. It's just so true. So while Biden is in Israel, he's sitting with Netanyahu, and he's reading off of note cards because he can't form a thought So he's reading off what somebody else, some like, you know, recently graduated intern in the White House wrote for him. Um, And so he's reading it. And then he refers to Hamas as, quote, the other team. I wish I could roll that clip for you, but I can't because he mumbled his way through the whole thing. And this is (laughs) you and you wouldn't be able to make it out. But he literally referred to Hamas, to to Benjamin Netanyahu fighting for his country's life and the life of, of millions of Israelis. He referred to them to Netanyahu's face as, quote, the other team, as if this is a game of softball, as if this is the, the congressional softball game, the other team. And then the other thing, when he was coming home on Air Force One, a day early because the Arabs blew him off, uh, he's talking to the press, and he cannot form a thought. I tweeted this as well. I mean, he is gone, baby, gone. The guy does not know what planet he's on. I can't even run you that clip either because, again, he's so out of it, and he mumbles his way through it that you won't be able to make it out. Mumbling and bumbling. Guys, this is a mortifying, mortifying and dangerous charade. And it's enough already. We cannot go on like this. We have barely survived his presidency. It is a miracle we're all still here. But one day soon, our luck is going to run out. Because our enemies are not having it. They are advancing all around the world. So now, this this completely demented, corrupt hack that we have as president, well, he announced yesterday that he is going to ask Congress for at least another $100 billion for funding the war in Ukraine and Israel. But understand something. The breakdown here is $60 billion for Ukraine, Zelensky who? Yeah, exactly. $60 billion for Ukraine, about $40 billion uh, for Israel. Keep in mind that at the exact same time, Biden also yesterday released $100 million to the Palestinians for, quote, humanitarian aid. Also understand that money is fungible. 
He has said point blank, this is meant for the people of Gaza, the people of the West Bank who are suffering. They need food. They need medicine. Okay, that sounds good. But you know what? All of this money, this hundred million of your tax dollars, you might want to work a little harder, guys, because Hamas needs more of your money. This money, of course, is going to land up in the hands of Hamas. Gaza, the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority, Fatah, the Hamas, these are the most corrupt uh, organizations in the world. Maybe the only one more corrupt is Zelensky's uh, regime in Ukraine. And then New Jersey. <laughs> After that, these are the most corrupt places in the world. Of course, this $100 million is going to end up in the hands of Hamas. And you know what Biden said about it? Biden was all, well, you know, if this money ends up with Hamas, we will know that they really don't care about their people. I'm not kidding, guys. He actually said that. I mean, stating the obvious, they kill their own people as they did with this hospital strike, which I want to get to in a second as well. But I need to make some bigger points here before we get to that. So, of course, this money is going to end up with Hamas. The West Bank is flaring up, Lebanon is flaring up, Syria and Iraq are flaring up. They're all clients of Iran. So the war machine is primed and pumping. The military-industrial complex and the deep state need to keep their money laundering operations going after all. So they're very concerned. This is what the speakership battle is all about. By the way, we still have no speaker. The Republicans are disgusting. Not all of them. Jim Jordan, I think yesterday, got 199 votes. They're going to do another vote today. We'll we'll just keep watching this. But those, what, 22 Republicans who are out there voting for John Boehner for speaker and our friend Lee Zeldin, and I've been talking to Lee over the last couple of days. Lee's like, I'm not doing it. I, you know, I, I left Congress. I got other stuff going on. He may run for office again at some point, but right now, Lee's not doing it. And you have all of these jackasses on the Republican side wasting their votes. John Boehner. It, this, the, what the Republicans are doing is disgusting. And we've talked about this. We will continue to talk about it on this show. Not today, because I have too much I want to deal with on the military-industrial complex. But this is yet another example of how when the Democrats are in power, first of all, they steal the power. When they steal the power and they get in there, they wield raw power with no mercy. Our side gets in there, and they're acting like complete jackasses, Wasting time, wasting their majority, wasting power. They are disgusting. And I I always get back to what President Nixon used to say, which is, Monica, I have more respect for a true believing communist than I do for an American Democrat, because a communist will tell you exactly who they are, what they believe, and what they intend to do. Well, now we can transfer that to and, and, and rework it to the Republicans. We might now have more respect for these true-believing Marxists on the Democratic side, like AOC, because they'll tell you exactly who they are and what they believe and what they're doing. 
versus the Republicans who will tell you they're for fiscal responsibility, strong national defense, limited government, uh, the whole array of conservative arguments, right? Individual freedom, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and we will go out there and we'll fight for capitalism and all these things for you, and then they're full of shit. And they're wasting time. They're in, they're in the circular firing squad and they don't give a shit about you. I'm sorry for my language, but in this case, it's warranted. Okay. They could give a flying wit about you. So while that's all going on, so you, I mean, look, you got a bunch of different forces now all aligned against you. You've got the Democrat Marxists who are waging war against the country all day, every day. You got the Republicans who really don't care about you at all. And then you've got the deep state and the military industrial complex who have a uh, existential desire to keep their money laundering operations going. Peace ain't profitable. And that, my friends, is the real reason They have been trying to destroy Donald Trump. Trump brought our troops home, ended decades-long pointless wars, saved the hundreds of billions of dollars that would have flowed into those wars, made peace agreements in the Middle East and elsewhere, and enforced it all with strong leadership. And also the threat of annihilation to anybody who dared to threaten America, our people, or our interests. It's not rocket science, guys. This is Leadership 101. This is peace through strength. And it worked. Because our enemies knew he meant business. And they also knew he would act on his threats to destroy them. Our enemies backed off. But they, like our deep state and our military-industrial complex, wanted him gone. Why? Because he was a peacemaker. Can't have that. There's no money in peace. No opportunity to launder billions of dollars for themselves and their interests. So, got to get rid of the peacemaker, who was saving lives but making them broke. So they're no better than Hamas. You talk about Islamic Jihad, Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, the Iranian regime, any of these terrorist organizations or terrorist regimes, they don't value human life. You know what? Our leadership, especially in the deep state and the military industrial complex, they don't either. For the Islamists, it's about power and control and global domination. It's a cult of death. And for our deep state military industrial complex, it's about the almighty dollar. All of these things trump human life. So Trump was saving lives, but he was making them broke. And so they had to get rid of him. Between the virus, shutting down the booming Trump economy, burning down the country with Antifa and Black Lives Matter and rigging the election, they pulled out all the stops to stop the peacemaker. And they succeeded. And now they cannot believe that he is still standing. And not just still standing, but thriving, leading in most of the polls. Because you know what, guys? Peace is popular. 
The American people do not want to send their sons and daughters back into the shifting sands of the Middle East to die. Or into, you know, this the, the Yellow Sea to die if China goes to war with Taiwan. Peace is popular. And the peacemaker is popular. Imagine that. You know what's not popular is the fact that we now have a Hamas caucus. First of all, if you have seen over the last week, week and a half of the protests that have broken out across the Middle East, they're pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, uh, pro-terrorist um, uh, protests that have uh, just rip, are now ripping apart the Middle East. We have them here now, here in the United States. New York, uh, other cities, they've got their pro-terrorist marches going. And if you saw the footage from Dearborn, Michigan, where there's a huge, massive uh, Palestinian population. Why? Because we let them in. The Trojan horse continues to come in across the southern border, other ports of entry. This has been going on now for years, but certainly Joe Biden put it on steroids over the last three years. So when you watch that protest in Dearborn, it looked like you were in Gaza City. Here in America. You would never notice it to be an American city, and a once great American city. You know who represents Dearborn, Michigan? Rashida Tlaib. She is a raging, unhinged anti-Semite. And she's also a devout Muslim. She is of Palestinian heritage. And so anytime something in the Middle East blows up, you can count on Rashida Tlaib and her sidekick Ilhan Omar and the rest of the uh, Hamas caucus, Ayanna Presley, AOC, uh, all of them, to come forward and support terrorists, which is exactly what they did yesterday. So we actually saw a Hamas surrection. I wish I'd come up with that word, but I didn't. Our good friend Julie Kelly, who's been all over uh, the J6, uh, January 6th defendants, and how those trials are going. She's been on this show many times. We will have her back. She coined Hamas Erection on Twitter yesterday, and it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yesterday, we had an actual insurrection take place at the Capitol. And it was well-organized, and it was encouraged by the leader of the Hamas uh, caucus, Rashida Tlaib. I want you to listen. You know, she's really pissed at Joe Biden, the leader of her party, because as an unhinged anti-Semite, she believes that Israel should not be supported in any way. So she went after Joe Biden and her fellow Democrats supporting the state of Israel. And to my president, to our president, yes, he still are. Well, hold on. I know, I, hey, I want him to know, as a Palestinian American, is also somebody of Muslim faith, I'm not going to forget this. And I think a lot of people are not going to forget this. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a threat. It isn't. They, they think we're joking. I mean, I think the White House and everyone thinks that we're just going to sit back and let this just continue to happen. So there is to leave a screeching that they're not going to forget this, that support of the state of Israel is not going to be forgotten by the Hamas caucus and other uh, raging anti-Semites in the Democrat Party. They got a huge problem on the left. 
with this because now you're seeing a lot of long-standing, very wealthy Democrats who happen to be Jewish who have written massive checks to colleges like Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania. They are now slamming their checkbooks shut because they are absolutely appalled by this kind of leftist, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel activity on the college campuses, which has been festering forever. But now the good news is, if there is a silver lining at all to come out of this absolute massacre and a horror in Israel, it's that a lot of people are waking up. Hey, wait, our college campuses are cesspools of anti-Semitism and radicalism. Well, duh, we've been talking about this for a long time. But now these other people are beginning to see it and wake and, and are waking up. There is a clarity that comes with horrors like this. I don't know how long the clarity is going to last because human beings being what they are oftentimes revert. I mean, the fact that here we are 20 plus years after 9-11 and people are still wondering about, gosh, golly, is this what pure Islam is? What, what, what is the jihad? What, what, I mean, now we're going to need a primer on jihad again because nearly 3,000 dead people in the street on 9-11 wasn't enough to wake us up. It did at the time, like this horror in Israel. It will do it for a time, but we've got to stay on it to make sure it continues, that the lessons are really absorbed and continued, okay? So that's going to be on us to do. So yesterday at the Capitol, uh, these radical anti-Semites, these disgusting uh, people, took over the rotunda at the Capitol. Rashida Tlaib was out there fake crying over the fake hospital strike story. By the way, if you are in the press, New York Times, Washington Post, and others, if you ran with the lie that the Israelis bombed a hospital and killed 500 people, if you ran with that, as they all did, they just, in an unquestioning kind of way, just picked up Hamas's propaganda that the Israelis bombed a hospital on purpose and killed hundreds of people, including babies and children. They just ran with it on their websites, literally on the front page, after the story was being debunked, If you ran with all of that, you can never again complain about fake news because you are fake news. People have been, you know, the propaganda is flying fast and furious and they're dying for the Israelis to make a mistake like this so they can just inflame the Arab world and really spark World War III. They're dying for this because, again, they're a death cult. So all of this, and it's so chilling because now you, you must question every single thing you get from the propaganda press. They ran with that. They did not question it. They were more than happy to run with Hamas propaganda on the front pages of America's once great newspapers and news organizations. They are disgusting. We expect it from the Hamas caucus, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. They put up tweets accusing Israel of killing 500 people, including babies, by bombing some place that's supposed to be sacred, which is a hospital. Those tweets, as we go to air today, are still up. They are lying propagandists. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about human life. And the media organs in this country are the exact same. They're all on the same side. Speaking of which, being all on the same side, 
the same people who organized the Marxist revolution over many decades in this country are the same people who organize Antifa, are the same people who organize Black Lives Matter, and are the same people who organized the Hamas erection yesterday. They're all the same operatives. Why? Because the cause is exactly the same. I want to know if uh, this actual insurrection in the Capitol yesterday is going to be treated like January 6th, which was not an insurrection. You had a handful of people who broke some windows, and that's it. The rest, the vast majority, over 90%, were grandmas from Indiana walking through the Capitol, being escorted by the Capitol Police and paying attention to the velvet ropes. Not an insurrection. What happened yesterday with these terrorist sympathizers in the Capitol actually obstructing an official proceeding, that, my friends, is an actual insurrection. So I'm looking forward to the indictments, the convictions, and the multi-year prison sentences, aren't you? One other final silver lining to come out of this horror The good news is that there is an all-time high number of voters who say that their sympathies lie more with the Israelis than with the Palestinians. Well, I would hope so. But this, I'll take good news wherever we can get it. An all-time high number of voters say their sympathies are now with the Israelis rather than the Palestinians at 61% for Israelis compared to 13% for Palestinians. That's dramatic. This is according to a new poll that comes after uh, the massacre in Israel. So again, this is all good news, but it requires vigilance because most people have very short memories, just like they did after 9-11. So we are going to have to stay on top of this and continue to remind people that the terrorists are the ones who instigate this. They are a death cult. They want you dead. And thanks to Joe Biden and his wide open border, we may in fact be dead. I hope to God I am wrong about this. But if and when there is a terrorist strike in the United States, maybe multiple cities on the same day, who knows? I believe it's inevitable at this point. There are just way too many suspected terrorists in this country. The wide open border, you know, and them working in conjunction with the tens of thousands of Chinese nationals coming in. America is just being flooded by our enemies who want us dead. The blood will be on Joe Biden's hands. He, in this war in the Middle East, he is funding both sides of the war. On the one hand, he's requesting all of this money to go to Israel and help them. And on the other hand, he just transferred $100 million to the Palestinians, which will go into Hamas, and he has released billions of dollars to Iran, which is funding all of this. Biden is on both sides of the war. That's how disgusting he is. So basically, in America today, we have no leadership. We got on one side with the Democrats. They're completely at war with us. And on the other side, Republicans who don't give a shit about you. That's great, right? United States is rudderless. So... It's going to be up to us to, to fix all of this in the next 13 months. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in America with the police state, which is already here. Dinesh D'Souza is going to join us. Sit tight.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back my very good friend, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, of course, is one of our most invaluable thought leaders, a best-selling author, scholar, and public intellectual. He's also the host of the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, which is fantastic. And if all of that weren't enough, he is also an award-winning filmmaker, most recently 2000 Mules, of course, and now another incredibly powerful and important film called Police State. I want you to check out the website. It's policestatefilm.net. Again, policestatefilm.net. The movie is going to debut in theaters on October 23rd and 25th. If you go to the website, you can buy your tickets and you can get all kinds of information about the film. And I'm so happy that Dinesh is with us now. Hi, my friend. Hey, it's good to be with you and looking forward to this conversation. Well, me too. And, you know, I was telling you before we came on the air, this film is incredibly powerful. I mean, it is blowing people away. It blew me away. And I really want to get into it so that people have a sense of what we're talking about when we say police state. The last time you were here, we were talking about 2000 Mules and and other things, but you and I have also had extensive conversations about the fact that this country has been under comprehensive attack on all of our institutions, our economy, our culture, everything. Um, And it's been by the far left. It's been by the globalists. We have all of these elements coming at us to take apart the Constitution, free market capitalism, etc. But the only way that they can get us from what the founders, uh, the gift that the founders gave us to that dark vision is by installing a police state. So Dinesh, I want you to walk us through what a police state is what it means, and how it's operating in America today as you lay it out in this new film. Well, yeah, a police state is a, um, a system of tyranny in which the whole country is turned into a prison. And by that, I mean that when you think of someone who is in prison, they are unfree. They are subjugated. They have to do what they're told. They don't have any basic rights. They have to be grateful for the food that is given to them to live. And they are quite literally confined, subjugated, beaten if they offer resistance. And so this is the fate of being a, a prisoner. And, uh, and in a police state, the whole citizenry is in that position. Now, we are not a full-fledged police state. We are, and I feel really strange even saying this, but we are on our way to becoming a police state. We're moving rapidly in that direction. Even three or five years ago, I couldn't have made this movie. So now, we've had political debates in the country ever since I've been here, the late 1970s. I came to America as a teenager But what we're seeing is something actually quite different because the founders, 
established a system of inalienable rights that are not subject to political negotiation. So if you look at the Bill of Rights, it itemizes some, not all, of our rights, but we have a right to free speech, a right to religious freedom or conscience, a right to petition the government for grievances, uh, a right to equal justice and equal rights under the law. And now, again, 95% of people are not allowed to take away your right to, say, freedom of speech or freedom of conscience. It is supposed to be outside of politics. And yet, we have seen every single one of these basic rights uh, in jeopardy uh, under the Biden administration. So it, the roots of it are in Obama. If you want to trace the genealogy, the real story of the police state, it goes a little further back to the aftermath of 9-11. But the acceleration of it in the last couple of years is truly stupefying. How has this been allowed to happen? You know, I think a lot of Americans who aren't quite aware, but they will be after seeing this film, um, a lot of Americans just assume that we have protections against this sort of thing. Well, we've got a constitution, we got a bill of rights, we have courts, we have attorneys. There's no way that the real, that the government can railroad anybody because we have all of these defenses in place. How did we get to this point? How has this been allowed to, to develop? It's partly because the defining characteristic of, of America is innocence. And, mm-hmm. and this, by the way, has been something that has been noted uh, even in the 19th century. Certainly, if you look at a work by Mark Twain, like Huckleberry Finn, the idea is that Huck is kind of innocent. He, he doesn't really know and he doesn't expect bad things to happen. Now, when they do happen, he has to really struggle to get his head around it. Uh, and I think that's what's going on here. Most Americans have no idea what a police state is. They they know police state imagery, sort of a Stalin overcoat, Hitler mustache. And so they look for a police state in that direction. But if a police state comes at you in a little different way and see the the ingenuity, the cunningness of our police state is it comes to us marching behind the banner of law and democracy and fighting misinformation and disinformation. So the the ugly fist of the police state is wrapped in this silky glove. And that's why Americans are like, oh, well, that's not something I need to be worried about. So I think that's why it's taking us by surprise. Now, I do think people are starting to wake up to it. And the power of a movie is it's not just talking about it, because you can talk to people and they still don't really get it. But in the movie, you can show them. I mean, I have so many ordinary people in the movie who have come up against the police state and felt, to use Orwell's term, the boot stamping on their human face. So I want people to see that up close and they're going to go, wow, I didn't know this was happening happening in America. And yet it is. Yeah. And it's a really important point, Dinesh, that you make, which is that, you know, people have been conditioned to see police states through the lens of history, the jackboots, the long, the long Nazi coats and, and that sort of thing. Well, in the modern age, it does come in a much more stealthy kind of way. And to your point, the left and the establishment, the deep state, you can, the globalists, you, you, we put them all together because their mission is the same, which is to destroy the country. Um, but they all use a very similar tack, which is an emotional appeal. 
So like you say, it's, it's an emotional appeal to people like, oh, we have to do this to protect democracy, right? And so a lot of people go along, along with it because they trust their government. They trust the, um, the voices of authority who are speaking to them. But the problem now is we have the, the most fearsome government agencies, including the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS. They have been completely weaponized against the American people. So while we see, you know, the, the police state being weaponized against people like President Trump and the January 6th defendants, the, the political opponents of the regime of all stripes are now being railroaded. Right. So it's it's parents who speak out at at, at at school board meetings. It's Catholics. It's regular Americans. And that is a very dangerous slope. It is. And I think one of the things that a movie does, and I try to do it in this movie, is I will ask a question like this. And that is that the ordinary FBI agent is is not a thug. You know, is not a thug with a badge. He's probably a decent guy. He's got a family. He lives in a three-bedroom house. So how do you get, even if you corrupt the FBI at the top, how do you get a basically good guy to do something really horrific? Because that guy, that nice guy, is the same guy who kicks in an apartment, goes up to a 70-year-old grandmother, wrestles her to the ground, pulls her hair, twists her arms behind her back, puts a handcuff on her, pulls her down the stairs if she won't go willingly, pulls her into the street where her neighbors come out and start gawking at her so she's humiliated. So how do you, how do you get an ordinary fellow to do something that's basically so degrading and monstrous? And the answer is that what the police state does is it defines things in a very operational and bureaucratic way. So I remember not long ago I was um, watching an interview with the guy who they brought in at Waco. This was the FBI hostage negotiator, basically a sniper, a killer. Uh, and they brought him in to take out David Koresh if the, if the necessity arose. And they were talking to this guy and they said, you know, did you know who David Koresh was? And this guy goes, no. Did you know about this Waco group? No, I didn't know about him. He goes, listen, that's not my job. He goes, I just come in when negotiations fail. I'm a sniper. They point to me and they say, that's a bad guy. You take him out. So think of this guy who was a decent guy. He saw himself as a military guy whose job is operational. It's not his job to determine guilt and innocence. It's not his job to figure out the morality of it. He has a task to do, and his effectiveness is measured by doing that. So similarly, the ordinary FBI guy, guy is told, listen, we have a process for dealing with this grandmother. Don't worry about all that. Your job is to apprehend her. But to do that, you have to shock her out of sleep. You've got to kick in her door at 6 in the morning. You've got to do what is necessary. And if you do it, you're a good FBI man. $30,000 bonus at the end of the year, good chance of promotion. You're going to be seen as one of the inside guys, not one of the troublemakers. And so all these normal human motives come into play and turn ordinary people into monsters. Well, we've seen this throughout history, right? And after World War II and the horrors of the Nazi regime, where it, the rank-and-file Nazis were saying, oh, I was just following orders, or the Soviet Union, all of these totalitarian states, when the horrors come to light, the people who executed it 
are saying, well, I, I was just following orders. I didn't really know. Well, that excuse does not fly. And it particularly does not fly in a democracy or at least a nominal one like what we have now in the United States. So that's the first point I'd love for you to address. But the second point, too, when you talk about regular guys in the FBI, you know, using a battering ram on a January 6th grandma in Indiana at 430 in the morning, um, you know, people have said, well, the corruption and the rot is at the top. But honestly, Dinesh, I am beginning to question that and think the rot is all the way down. I mean, we don't, we've had a couple of whistleblowers, I guess, come forward from these, uh, these institutions. But for the most part, there are people who are gleeful to go and attack that grandma at 4.30 in the morning or go and raid Mar-a-Lago, a former president of the United States. I, I think increasingly so that these institutions are shot through with this kind of corruption and this kind of police state. Yeah, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm simply saying that I think that the way that the corruption percolates all the way down is by creating a very complex system of incentives uh, financial incentives, promotional incentives, and also I would call it sort of brotherhood incentives. In other words, uh, just like with a military unit, an FBI unit, a DHS group of people, they want to be part of a team. They want to be, they want to be a, one of the guys. And so when they get the idea, that the FBI as an institution is not prioritizing, say, you know, sex trafficking. They're prioritizing January 6th. The message goes down the pike, goes all the way down. Listen, if you start talking about January 6th, you're like one of these cool, cutting-edge FBI guys. If you're talking about sex trafficking, well, that's one of the sort of sidelines of what the FBI is concerned with. So what I'm getting at is that the institution is corrupt. And so it does tend to percolate down. So even though guys at the bottom are not trying to, like, save Joe Biden, they're not trying to, quote, get Trump, they're carrying out the institutional priorities of an organization that is going to help them be move up in life and get to where they want to get. Well, and also just the, the sheer desire to hold on to a job. If you've got a family, there's a paycheck. So you're, you do as you are told. I mean, that's just sort of fundamental. But, you know, apart from the weaponized institutions that we're talking about, which do go, we're talking about the DOJ and FBI, but this kind of police state corruption goes all the way down to the local level. This is what George Soros is all about, pouring tens of millions of dollars into DA races, mayor races, uh, you name it, because it, it is weaponized at the local level as well. Um, but, you know, I think the average person thinks, well, I have recourse. I have constitutional protections against this kind of thing. And if it does happen, I can always go to the courts. But the police state now extends to that uh, uh, branch of the government as well, does it not? It, it does. Um, we're dealing with um, we're dealing with the police state elements in the judiciary and the legislature I mean, think of it when um, when Chuck Schumer uh, on television issued the warning, hey, listen, don't fool with the police agencies of government. They can get you every which way. This was kind of a public warning uh, from a legislator. But it is also worth noting that the police state extends beyond the government. And a really good way to think about it is to think about censorship. Now, in censorship, you have the government, but you also have the private sector. You have a number of institutions involved. Academia is involved, the media, the nonprofit sector, 
the digital platforms in addition to the government. So what will happen typically, Monica, is some academic, let's say at Penn State, will develop a list of people who have been, quote, let's just say, questioning the 2020 election. Uh, You may be on that list. I may be on that list. Okay, this is then handed over to the Biden regime. And it's classified. If we were doing, you know, if we were if we were challenging COVID, it would be the it would be the health authorities. But since this is an election issue, it goes to the group called CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency. Now, what do those guys do? Well, they don't want to be directly going to the digital platforms because that may be too close to obvious censorship. So they find a middleman. And the middleman is a nonprofit group. It could be the Stanford Internet Observatory, the so-called Virality Project. And so they make a handoff. Hey, you guys take this list. You go to YouTube or to Google or to Facebook. You give them the list. Tell them that we want to get all these people banned. Then, then the digital platform does the banning to the immense hurrahs and cheers of the media. So look at the sophistication of this operation. Look at the way it sprawls like an octopus across the private and the public sector both. Yes, it's government, it's culture, it's Hollywood, it's big tech, it's the propaganda press, it's every every powerful element of, of our society. And, you know, what you're describing here in, in police state is that this is reminiscent of Stalin and Beria. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. No due process, no rule of law. These are all the hallmarks of totalitarianism, right? They, they are, and they are showing up in America, but they're showing up in a, with a distinctive American sort of accent. And by that, I mean, you follow, for example, what's going on with Trump or January 6th. You know, on the face of it, if someone were to come to here from Mars or come here from a different country, they would see all the apparatus of law operating, right? Trump is charged. He shows up in court. There's an arraignment. Uh, then there's discovery, then there's a judge and there's a jury. So people think, wow, that's on the up and up. That's rule of law. Not, re- <coughs> not realizing that it is possible to corrupt that process as well. Mm-hmm. Just like it's possible to corrupt elections. A lot of police states have elections. China has elections. Iran has elections. But they, the elections are a kind of facade in that the candidates are pre-selected and the opposition is not a real opposition. It's subordinate to the regime. So I believe that is what the left and the Democrats are trying to build here. They're trying to build a one-party state. And what the movie does is it tells the very poignant and sort of tragic story of this because, of course, some of these powers, not all, but some of them, were given to the government, Monica, by you and me in the aftermath of Mm 9-11 when we said, hey, the government does need these police powers, but it needs to focus its lens on foreign terrorists who are trying to kill us, not realizing that if you just fast forward a decade or so, the government would realize, and some malevolent elements in the government, hey, we've got all these powers. Why don't we now deploy them against our political opposition? Yeah, I mean, all of this is completely antithetical to our fundamental freedoms, and and they're being ripped away every single day. That's what makes this movie so, so powerful, uh, because you depict all of this in a very dramatic and cinematic way. Um, Dinesh, before we let you go, what do you want people to take away from this film, and how can we uh, use the experience of the film to mobilize the fight against the police state? When, honestly, the police state has all of the levers of power. The the film is a, a unique mode of communication. I mean, number one, it is an end run around the media. So with the movie being in theaters, 
uh, with the movie being available to watch at home, uh, you it can't be stopped. That's the first thing. The second thing is a movie is an experience. I mean, if someone were to ask you to describe, you know, the movie The Godfather, no amount of telling them about the movie substitutes for watching the movie. So a really good film has a sort of transforming experience, not just intellectually, but sort of emotionally and psychologically as well. And I'm very conscious of this in making these films. I want someone to leave that film and go, wow, that was really something that leaves me a little different when I leave the theater than I was before. And I think that's a form of power because then you want to share that message. And and so the film itself becomes a kind of a cause and a weapon. Now, I make these movies for the theater, so I prefer people to see it in the theater if you can. Uh, we've bought out hundreds of theaters. And so on two days, October 23rd and 25th, the movie will be in theaters. If you go to the website, which is policestatefilm.net, put in your zip code, boom, all the theaters around you will pop up. You can't make it to the theater. Then on October 27th, Friday, uh, there's a virtual premiere, which is a full screening of the film, followed by a live Q&A with Dan Bongino and me. We collaborated on this film and all of that is for the price of a movie ticket. So the tickets for all of this is one place, policestatefilm.net. You can't get the tickets. You cannot get the tickets, by the way, from Fandango. Don't try to get them from the theater. It won't work. You have to get it from the website, policestatefilm.net. Well, we are in a very dark and dangerous moment in this country, and I want to commend you and thank you for putting together this film because the warnings here must be heeded before it's truly too late. And the hour is very late in America anyway, but you've got to go see this movie because we do have a chance to to still rescue America from the grip of the police state. So step one in fighting back is to go see this film. Again, it's called Police State, and it opens, as Dinesh said, in theaters across the country on October 23rd and 25th. So please go support it there. You can find out all of the information and buy tickets at policestatefilm.net. Dinesh, congratulations on yet another incredibly important film that's going to help save the country. Thank you very much. Wow, guys, what a show today, huh? I mean, we're always on fire on the Monica Crowley podcast, but today even more so. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, for checking out our great sponsors. Have a good end to your week. Stay safe. Stay well. Situational awareness wherever you are. Uh, But enjoy your weekend, and I will see you right back here next week. This episode of the Monica Crowley Podcast was produced by Behakel Entertainment, LLC. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.